Good morning. We come this morning to worship a God who is worthy of our worship, who deserves what we have to give Him, even though it's small, and who receives what we have to give Him, even though it's small. And that's a great privilege that we have to be able to gather before our God in the name of our Savior Jesus and know that He receives our worship, even though it's pretty puny, really. Um, I have a question. I wonder, most of you here I know, and I think I know the answer to this, but I wonder if there are any of you who woke up this morning unsure if you were going to come this morning, or maybe over the last couple of days thought, you know, maybe we should go to Cornerstone on Sunday. Um, I know there's maybe a couple who don't come here regularly, uh, but I think most of us pretty much Sunday mornings go to worship. Is there anyone who maybe just kind of on a whim decided last minute to come to church? I don't think there's probably anyone here like that. I think that's a good thing to be a people committed to spending the Lord's day worshiping the Lord. But there's a risk there that it just becomes custom, right? It's just what we do. And the reason I ask it that way is because I don't know when was the last time that I really went to church because I woke up with a burning desire to go to church. There are a lot of Sunday mornings that we go to church just because of what we do on Sunday morning. And that doesn't mean that we don't have any of the right desire. I'm not saying that that's all wrong. Um, It's good to have good customs. But how many times do we come on Sunday mornings and we walk in the door and we sit down and we open our Bible and it's just all rote and and habit? And the, the reason I'm making a point of this is because I know I need it for, for, for my own heart, and I think it probably is good for us all to be reminded that we're coming to open the living word of a living God that can speak into our lives. And this word is the foundation for everything, not just our faith and what we believe, but even our life is founded on, on God's word. And we depend on him for our everything. And so our, our hearts um, and our minds need to be tuned this morning as we come to the word that this is life for us. That God has given us his word and, and, and his spirit as a guide so that we can have eternal life in him. This is important stuff. We're going to read Psalm 62 this morning as an opening. The 62nd Psalm. And this was a psalm written by David. Those of us who were here for Sunday school this morning, um, we studied a little piece of the life of David part of his life where he was being pursued by King Saul um, relentlessly as a, as a pheasant in the mountains. Um, as, as you hunt after an animal and you keep chasing it till it finally is too tired and gives up, that's how Saul was chasing David. Um, he just wouldn't give up. He wouldn't stop following him. And he had no reason. Um, and this, this psalm, I don't know at what point in his life David wrote this psalm, but it certainly is relevant to to the phase of his life where he was being pursued by David. Um, In this psalm, we see really it's a contrast. It's a psalm of contrasts. uh, David is comparing, he's contrasting um, the wicked works of the world and his enemies against the faithfulness of his God. And we see that difference. He writes, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. For He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. 
And then we switch sides and we, we turn and look at his enemies. He says, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? That makes me think of, uh, we had in, in Roos Roos where we live, there next to the clinic, um, it used to be a building that was surrounded by a fence. And the fence got taken down a long time ago. But there was an old gate frame. And it was a gate with posts. They were probably 10 or 12 inch posts that were about 10 feet high. And there was a little roof, a little techito across the top of the post to keep everything you know, safe from the weather, like a covered bridge kind of. But it was just a little roof. And the, the post and the roof were all that were left. The fence had gone a long time ago. The gates were gone. And so we had these big old wooden posts. And they were all eaten out by termites in the center. And it was leaning over. And it was, a, it was a big chunk of wood. I mean, it was heavy. And it was leaning pretty good. And there was this little sapling that had grown up beside it. And that whole roof and, and post structure was leaning on that little tiny tree. And it was all just kind of waiting for the, a storm to come and take it down. And I walked under that thing. Or I, I, I didn't walk under it very much because it kind of scared me. But walked around it a lot of times. And I kept saying, we've got to get that thing down. Or someday it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall on somebody because it, really, it was really dangerous and leaning. Um, and a couple of times I would walk over to it just to test it to see how strong it really was and put my hand on it and kind of push it. <laughs> oh boy, I, I backed off right away because it was just, just didn't, ta- didn't need much to fall over. Um, it doesn't take much of a man to push over a tottering fence. There's not much left there. And so David is using that, that illustration or that analogy. Um, you know, why are you coming after me like a tottering fence? Here's the king, and, and again, I don't know for sure that David was writing about Saul, but it's probable that he was. Here comes Saul with all of his army and his, the resources that he had as king to go after David, who was a wilderness man. And he's saying, how long will you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position, they take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. The wickedness of the world in which we live is full of falsehood, lies, and deceit. There's, not, there's no value of truth. The way of the world and the way of Satan is a way of winning at any cost. And there's no truth or integrity to be found. But then David turns around again and looks at the Lord. He says, For God alone, my, O oh my soul, wait in silence. My hope is from Him. For He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge, is God. Trust in Him at all time, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. I think that's kind of a humorous little. In the balances, they go up. Think about what a balance does. You put you know, the weights on both sides, and the one that doesn't amount to much goes up. In the balances, they go up. They're the lightweights. And that's those of high estate and low estate. So it's easy to look at maybe the poor being the ones that go up in the balance. But David is saying, it doesn't matter. The poor and the rich, they're all on the same side. And they all go up. They are together lighter than a breath. 
Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. And then he sums up with this. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. We serve a God that is powerful and that is both just and merciful, which is a beautiful combination. Both just and merciful. And he is our refuge. He alone is our rock and our salvation. And here we are this morning to open his word and, and learn from it, but also to be refreshed and encouraged to have a new injection of life into our spirits that comes from his word. And um, it's, I think it's um, important at this time of a service that we take a moment to just calm ourselves and look inward a little bit and be sure that our minds are, are set and are focused and that we leave behind the things that belong outside and we come for a moment into this place that we call a sanctuary um, which is a safe place, a place that we can be free from the invasion of thoughts of things from outside and we can, we can free our hearts and our minds to focus solely on, on God's word as we come before him with humility and with purpose to let him speak to us, um, not to bring our own uh, meaning to, to what's in the word or to um, make it about ourselves, but to leave ourselves behind and come to our rock and our fortress with nothing in our hands and let him speak into our lives. So um, let's have a word of prayer as we come into the next part of our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are a rock and a fortress for us. Thank you that you do not move and that you do not change, that you are eternal and that you are, um, you are strength and security for everything that we know. We thank you for your word that's alive. We thank you that you um, speak into our life, that you give us uh, direction, that you give us warning, and that you give us hope. And it all comes from this word that you've given to us and that you've not just left your word, but you've also given us your spirit so that we can, that we can understand it, that we can interpret it, that we can apply it to our life. We pray this morning as we come before your presence, Lord, that um, in the name of Jesus, that you would clear from our minds all of the distractions and the worries and the burdens that we carry, um, that you would uh, help us to leave out in the parking lot the things from this week and the things from next week that we're worried about, the fears that we have, um, the, the selfish ambitions that, we, that we're all carrying. Lord, we pray that you would strip those things from our minds as we come to you, that we would have um, a purity of heart um, by the blood of Jesus, that we could come to you this morning and, and receive what you have for us. Um, and Lord, maybe as we go back out the doors and pick those things back up, we'll find that there are a lot fewer of them there than we left. Um, and, and we just pray that you would, we would, um, that we would lean on you, <clears throat> that, that our, our steadfastness and, and surety for, for this day would be found as we, as we cling to you, as we lean on to you. Help us to leave behind our own strength, to lean not on our own understanding, uh, but to come and rest in you and find peace and, and comfort. 
Thank you for the, the opportunity we have to gather this morning, for the way that you've provided for us to be able to do this. We thank you for our brother Gail and, and the, work, the word that you've put on his heart uh, to share with us this morning, and we pray that you would guide him by your spirit, um, that he would um, not be speaking from his own mind, but from the word that you put within him, um, that you would give him the humility to get out of the way and let your spirit do the talking. I thank you, Lord, for... Uh, for being an active and, and living God and not just a God on a shelf. Thank you this morning for your salvation that you've given to us, for making us your children, for drawing us out of darkness and into light. And, and thank you for your everlasting love that never fades. And we pray that you would bless the service this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to worship. I surrender all to Jesus. Have I really? You know, I remember uh, an old patriarch, I'll call him, gave me a note years ago, right after I was called to preach the word. And uh, he wrote there words like this. He said, Nothing less than a full surrender and your all will ever be accepted by God. And that doesn't matter whether you're public preaching or whatever your ministry is. Nothing less than a full surrender and your all will ever be accepted by God. I am so thankful that I could come here this morning. I'm thankful that you're here this morning. And I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is here this morning. For those of you who are not here, first thing this morning, I want to tell you something about how I see the Holy Spirit working. And it's almost every time we come together publicly. 
He reminds us that he's here and that's the purpose of our gathering, to pay attention to him as he takes us through his word and to praise God and lay our lives open before him. We didn't have anybody to open for us. We came in and sat down. We sat right behind Brad and Crystal. They were over here and so I asked Brad if he would read from the 30th chapter of Proverbs to open this morning. Well, our superintendent forgot that he was supposed to do the opening this morning. And so he came up here without anything on his mind and he turned to the 30th chapter of Proverbs and he read that to us. The Holy Spirit is in our presence this morning. And so we changed and had another chapter read the 62nd chapter of Psalms. <clears throat> We've been working through a verse the last few months that Jesus gave his disciples from the upper room to the garden. And those words read about like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. We've talked about Jesus being the way. And we've talked a little bit about Jesus being the truth. We borrowed a title from a question that Pilate asked Jesus. He said... Uh, what is truth? Is there anyone in here this morning that doesn't really know what truth is? You know, I think there are people in the world that don't. But I don't think that probably there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't really know what truth is. I'd like for you to just... Uh, in your calm spirit that Brad encourages us this morning to have, just thank the Lord for that. You know, I think the reason that we about all know truth is because we've been taught truth. And if you haven't been given a godly heritage, I just encourage you to start one right now. Just start one right now. Well, we wanted to let the word speak to us in truth, and uh, so as we opened the gospel, we saw that there were probably over 60 times in the gospel where Jesus spoke, and he was recorded by these gospel writers as saying, Verily I say unto you. So he was emphasizing that portion of truth. And then as I started studying the Gospel of John, I saw that there were over 20 times where he said, verily, verily, I say unto you. All scripture is uh, important. All scripture is truth. But when Jesus says, verily, verily, there is a double, a double emphasis placed 
on that particular truth that he is conveying. So we started out this message just letting the Gospel of John be our outline, and we got to about the sixth chapter of John. And that's where we're going to start this morning as uh, we pick up where we left off. We're going to start with the uh, sixth chapter of uh, John, and we're going to go to the 26th verse of this chapter. And you remember the setting here, the fourth part of this chapter is where uh, Jesus had fed the 5,000 people and he realized that probably they were going to come and take him by force to make him a king, so he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and the people followed him there and found him over there on the other side of the sea. And then this is what Jesus says to these people in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. So what is he, what's he saying here? <clears throat> Whenever he's, uh, he's talking to these people and, and he's... Uh, telling them that they didn't really come because they saw that he was working miracles, but because they were, they were filled and had natural food. We're just going to put it in our own words like this. Seeking Jesus for temporal and selfish motives will leave me with an empty soul. Jesus did bless people with a lot of natural blessings, but that was not his prime intent for coming into the world. His intent for coming into the world was to bless my soul eternally with an eternal blessing to be with him forever. And seeking Jesus for temporal and selfish motives will leave me empty. You know, I think about uh, Moses as he recorded the book of Deuteronomy. It seemed to be an emphasis on uh, restating what God had given to him in the law for the children of Israel. And uh, he says words like this. He said, again, like was mentioned in the psalm this morning by David, God is a rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And then he went on to say, you're a people that God has chosen for his own. You're the apple of his eye. And he wants to bless you and he will bless you with temporal blessings and with spiritual blessings. But then he went on to say that, uh, and we're going to put this in our own words, that the more he continues to bless you with blessings, the more apt you are to forget him. 
so often a blessing from God becomes an idol in my life. And the source of the blessing, the Lord, is not worshipped and he is lightly esteemed. That's the words of Moses to the children of Israel. That God is not worshipped and is lightly esteemed after he has given you blessing. Why are we seeking God? Why are we seeking the truth? Is it to bless my soul or to bless me temporally today? Well, one of the verses there that Brad read to us went like this. If riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Because all of your provision is from the power and the mercy of God. The verses that we would have taken from Proverbs 30 would have been the verses that the writer there wanted the Lord to satisfy him with, the two things. He said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord in vain. What he was saying here, I think, is that when I'm blessed with abundance, I don't want to forget God. And whenever I am in need, I don't want to blame God. Maybe uh, the Apostle Paul said it more plainly for us to understand. He said that whether he abounded or whether he was in need, he wanted to be content. And bless God. So there's two points that we want here out of this, uh, this verse that Jesus said about following him for our soul rather than for our temporal needs. Riches are not wrong. But I think the caution is here that he says we should be very diligent and how they motivate our lives. <clears throat> I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's instruction to Timothy. We're going to look at the last chapter in his first letter. First Timothy chapter six and I realize that all these verses that we're talking about are whole sermons in themselves, but we're going to go right to the end of this chapter. It's not fair, really, without building up to it. But in verse 17 of this chapter 6, Paul instructs Timothy, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. And we want to stop there for just a moment. Um, we've got some small children, some babies in our congregation here. And if you've taken a moment just to watch them, you, you, you've watched them, you see what they do with their hands, they're 
They're always going grabbing. They're reaching out and getting. And you know, that's just a, a natural tendency that God created in man. It's to reach out there and get something and take a hold of it. But you know, I've uh, watched then as life ends for individuals and decease comes, I've never seen any individual's hands in a coffin that were going like this. They're all just out straight. They've let go of everything. Maybe Job would have said it the best for us. He had just about everything, and he gave about everything up, and this is what he said. He said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Paul tells Timothy here, he says, But not trusting in any of these things, but in the living God, which giveth you those things richly to enjoy. That they do good, be rich in good works, ready to distribute, and willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may have and lay hold on eternal life. So there's nothing in this world that's really mine. It's all his. And we're just a steward here to do with it what he instructs us to and to ask him how it is to be used. Well, let's go on in this uh, sixth chapter of John. Uh, let's look at verse 32. Another verily, verily. And uh, we're, we're going down now. We're getting into, and uh, Brother Kidron preached a wonderful sermon on this just a couple weeks ago, the bread of life. That's the context we're going into now in this chapter. Of Jesus is the bread of life. Then Jesus said, verse 32, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread that is from heaven. Verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse 53. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And we're going to go to verse 58. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth the bread, this bread shall live forever, and that's Jesus Christ. He's explaining what he's talking about here. And you know, these verses that we have read, this is every man's answer to eternal life, Jesus Christ. Every man's answer to eternal life. Last weekend, we observed the death of Jesus in the communion service. 
And uh, we're supposed to do that. He, he instructed us to do that as long as we were here to show that we are justified before God and reconciled to him by his death. But I think he's speaking here, and, and Brother Kidron laid this out to us. For those of you who are not here, you missed a wonderful sermon. He laid this out to us that this is actually taking the life of Jesus into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit to live. And Paul repeats that in his book to the Romans. He said that we're justified and reconciled by Christ's death, but we are saved by his life. His life is the power in our lives that saves us. Well, let's uh, move on. Let's go to John chapter 8. And uh, the context here in this chapter is that Jesus and his father are one. Jesus is talking about this. And he's also talking about the true children of God. And we're going to go to verse 34. John 8, 34. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. Well, let's go back up to... Uh, Verses 31 and 32. Jesus told those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, in the context of this chapter, his own people which came from the seed of Abraham, did not understand that he, Jesus Christ, was the true seed of Abraham, God in the flesh that came as a savior to save them. And as he equated himself with Father God as being God the Son, they did not relate that to their lineage with Abraham. And uh, they, did not, they did not take that as a lesson. In fact, they wanted to stone Jesus for it. Let's reread this uh, 34th verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know, Jesus wants to save everyone, every soul. But you know what? He won't do that against my will. That's what this verse tells me. And, you know, I have to remind myself pretty often, and we were reminded of this in our Sunday school lesson, and we're continually reminded of it, that it's really easy for me to justify myself where I'm at in life. And I have to remind myself continually that Jesus did not come to save me in my sin, but from my sin. And I think that's really important for me to get into my heart. He did not do, come to save me in my sin, but from my sin. And if I sin willfully, after I have received the knowledge of the truth, this is from Hebrews, then there's not any more sacrifice for my sin. And I realize that 
that all of us will have moments of temptation and moments that we yield to temptation. So what's he saying here? I think he's saying that if I willingly practice sin after I've received the knowledge of the truth and been saved by the blood of Jesus, then there's nothing else in sacrifice for my sin. You know, Jesus wants me to cry out to him to make me free, and he wants me to cry out to him to keep me free. Well, let's, let's move on to uh, verse 51 in this chapter. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. You know, God always, always keeps his covenant with man. You know, I think most of us here have made a covenant with God. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to. But when I made a covenant with God in Christ Jesus to live faithful unto death, you know what I did? I invited the Holy Spirit by the power of the word into my life. I invited God through Jesus Christ to pursue my heart, to show me the truth, to show me the sin in my own heart, to convict me of that sin, and to give me the opportunity to repent. That's what I did when I made a covenant with God in Christ Jesus. I asked him to pursue me through life continually and to convict me of my sin. And to grow in truth and in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 58. Jesus said unto them, and this was the, the Jewish people he was, he was teaching. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. This is really, really important. The eternal existence of Jesus Christ the Son. Deity, God the Son. And any type of professing religion that does not believe that Jesus Christ is deity and God has a false religion. It's just that simple to me. The eternal existence. Let's go back up to uh, verse 56. This is what we want. And this is what Jesus said. Your father Abraham rejoiced to me see my day. He saw it and was glad. We have the privilege and the joy of rejoicing that we are children of I am the father by I am the son. Hallelujah. Well, let's, uh, let's go to chapter 10. John 10. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. I suppose that most of us have been in some places of high security, and there's probably razor wire there, there's bars over the windows. It's so that somebody can't get in there that doesn't belong in there, that doesn't come through there by the door. And Jesus is saying there aren't several ways into the sheepfold. And he gives them a parable here. But they didn't understand the parable, so he just uh, told them in plain words over in the uh, 8th and the 10th verses here what he was saying. He said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep didn't hear his voice. And then he says, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I think here he's talking about individuals that claim to be pastors and leaders of the truth, but wanted to keep him out. You know, we, uh, we live in an age of shifting instability. And what I mean by that is that it, yeah, it used to be that you could pretty well kind of put your finger on where instability was. But now it's likely to show up in some of the least places that you would suspect it to. And it has brought with it a fast and swift current of deception. You know, as uh, Jesus taught, and many of the gospel writers recorded this, that in the last days, there was going to be a lot of deception. The truth would not prevail as it should in the hearts of people, because there would be false teachers, false Christ, prophets showing great signs and wonders and minds would be numbed by programs of false teaching ungodly counsel and heresies and we live in a time when there are a lot of winds of doctrine i realize that lots of relative truth lots of deception i think i'll give this uh, illustration before we close. We haven't gotten very far, I realize that. But when I was a boy, probably about 11 or 12 years old, my, my grandpa and my dad were farmers in Kansas. And when I became about that age, they gave me the opportunity and responsibility to start driving a tractor. And we, uh, at that time, didn't have the convenience of uh, herbicide and pesticide sprays. And we had a field about a mile east of us that was uh, pretty notorious for a lot of Russian thistles and cuckleburrs. And so once in a while, 
we would use a moldboard plow on that piece of ground. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it was, a, it was an implement that had a blade on it probably, oh, I don't know, 18 or 20 inches long. At least that one did, and it was probably four inches or so wide. And there were three or four of those, maybe five of them, on a diagonal across this piece of equipment. And then on top of that blade, there was another piece of steel that looked kind of like a round barrel, about half of it from the inside. And the idea was to pull this blade down through the soil, maybe four or five inches deep, or maybe a little deeper than that. And the soil would roll up off of that blade through that half barrel, and it would turn what was on top down underneath. And so the idea was to be able to put that weed seed down deep enough that it wouldn't sprout the next year and there'd be so many weeds. Well, there was uh, no hydraulic at that time either on that. There was a little rope you pulled and that would trip a lever that would either pull the thing out of the ground or when you pulled it after it was out, it'd trip a lever that'd put it in the ground. But there was also another lever on there that had a little trigger that fit into a sprocket on the bottom that would adjust that plow for the type of soil and the condition of soil to get the best results. You know, my grandpa and my dad knew just where that adjustment was. And so they put me on there and they said, we've got that adjusted just right, son. And you know, I'd plow a few rounds and I'd begin to wonder, I'd just wonder now if I'd change that a little bit if it wouldn't do just a little better job. And so I moved that lever a little bit one way and then the next, you know what happened? I forgot where Grandpa and Dad had it set. And you know, that's my point today, is that we continually seek the truth that God has given us. The absolute truth. Because today, men are setting the notch in the truth wherever it suits them the best. You know, we have the privilege today of having Jesus Christ in us and us in Him. And we didn't get to that, but I just want to use this for a, a benediction to us this morning. We're going to turn our Bibles to Colossians, third chapter. Colossians 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we appear also with him in glory. We didn't take prayer requests on the onset this morning, so I'm going to take them now.
Brother Clem, I'm going to have you lead us in prayer in a little bit here, if you would. Any prayer requests, praise reports? Must be all doing fine. Yeah, I have one back here, Catherine. We have a request to hold before the Lord those who are confused about the sanctity of marriage. Did I get that right? Yes, Marsha. Continue to pray for Roland and Pat. Brother Joe. We want to hold uh, Sister Rhonda King up before the Lord as she uh, continues to get treatments for her cancer. Yes, Bart. Pray for Brother Jerry, our older brother, hasn't been here for quite a while. He uh, is getting weaker and weaker. He continues to get blood. And uh, I think one praise report that goes along with that is that the Lord continually works in his heart. He's very thankful, and he loves everyone here. Brother Clem, you lead us. Oh, 